You're listening to The Bridge, a podcast on stories of courage, resilience, and innovation with me, Linda Fadrizi Williams, the president of Central Penn College. Welcome to The Bridge Podcast, where we share stories of courage, resilience, and innovation. I'm your host, Dr. Linda Fadrizi Williams, the president of Central Penn College, and I am so excited about today's guest. Jen Shade is a radio legend. A 30-year veteran of Central Pennsylvania Radio, Jen Shade is the co-host of 105.7 The X, top-rated People's Morning Show. She also is the news director and the midday host. The well-known and well-loved radio host is heavily involved in local charities, including the American Legion Auxiliary, VFW Auxiliary, and Loyal Order of the Moose and Angels Among Us Pet Sanctuary. Jen studied graphics and animation from Temple University's Tyler School of Art. She grew up in Cumberland County and still lives there. We are excited to have Jen Shade on this episode of The Bridge. Welcome to The Bridge Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Linda Fadrizi-Williams, the president of Central Penn College, and I am so excited to have radio personality and morning show host and news director, Jen Shade from 105.7 The X. Jen, welcome to The Bridge. Thank you very much, Linda, for having me here. I really appreciate it. And it is very awkward for me to be on the other end of a microphone being asked the questions. I'm sure. And I thought about that as I was prepping for today. I thought this is going to be so different for her to be on this this side of it. I like the opportunity, though. Thank you very much. Good. We're excited you're here today. And we have a radio legend on the show. And our producer, Paul Miller, was also so excited that you were here. And you're from our own area. You're from Central PA, right? It's funny you said radio legend. I looked around the room to see who you're talking. About. I mean that. I was like, is there somebody else? Um, no, you, you know what? Uh, yeah, I, I've born and raised in central Pennsylvania. I spent three or four years in Philadelphia at Temple Tyler School of Art. So uh, when I came back, I was voted most likely to leave the area and never return, and I was really? one of the first ones back. What, in your high school superlatives? Yes. Yep. yep. <laughs> they I, thought I, you were gone. Yeah, I thought that was it, or on Broadway <laughs> somewhere, just being dramatic, oh. doing something, whatever. But I honestly, um, it's not that I had a bad experience in Philadelphia. It just was so different. And then radio came along, and so I said to myself, well, I guess I'll do this for a while, and then I'll go back and finish, and it's been almost 30 years. And I want to talk about your start in radio. First, I want to ask you... What do your friends and family think of you being on radio? I mean, now you've been doing it for 30 years, so they're they're pretty used to it. But when you first come back and you're on radio, do your classmates from Redland or West Shore reach out to you on on any social media? Do they ask, you know, how you got in radio? Do they well, let's think go back of you to, as a celebrity? Let's get to the reality of it. It's a little painful for me to say. When I first started, well, there they didn't have social media, social media right? <laughs> Very so true. the phone would ring. I'd be in the studio, and they'd say, oh my gosh, what are you doing on oh, the radio? So and I did my you know first couple hours on the overnight, so I don't even know who was listening. Uh, you know, a couple of third shifters and you know maybe somebody in their sleep that left the radio on, but that's where I got <laughs> practice live. And, you know, I think when I was younger, people... Of course, it was fun. I mean, my gosh, I was 20 years old, turning 21. I got to go see bands, and I was into it for that whole glamour kind of thing. And people were so good about it, and it was it was a lot of fun. It was a different time, right? Though as well, because a lot of people were doing all those same things, and things have changed so much over the years. Um, And still, people will contact me and reach out to me, and and you know, say, "Hey, I'm listening. I'm still listening." Or I came out of the area for a while, and I'm back. And I think the biggest thing for me, though, is being a general part of the community. And as far as my daughter's concerned, she doesn't care. 
She's never well, no, cared. You're just mom to her. Nope. She, she's just like, yeah. oh, you think she's all that? Not, you, you don't live with her. That was her favorite comment. <laughs> you don't live with her. She still makes me clean the room and she yells a lot. But eh, I'm a little bit harder, you know, as sure. far as being, you know, strong and trying to get make sure everything gets done. So yeah. I don't think they appreciate me as much at home as they do outside. Well, that's all right. Then you take the love where you can get it, right? <laughs> right. So your story is so interesting. And I, and I was noticing when you were going to school, you were studying for graphic design and experience experimental film and animation Mm -hmm. from Temple University's Tyler School of Art. So you didn't have a plan to be in radio. What was your original plan? And then what made you decide to pursue radio? I didn't know what my plan was. Originally, I didn't fit in to a lot of the standard curriculum. Uh, I was very good at English. Mm-hmm. Math was never my strength, okay. uh, but I read well and, and my comprehension was high. And you know, so I was honors English and barely got those SATs going for math. Right? And I, thought, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. But my tenth grade year, I had one instructor who saw something in me. Mm. And my twelfth grade year, the same thing, Ms. Elaine Wilson. And in the art department. And I had participated in all the extracurricular activities. Sure. And if I may go back to something very personal, yeah. um, I my father passed away two days before Christmas when I was nine years old. Oh, man. And my mother did not handle it very well. Um, and I didn't realize... W- people overuse the word dysfunction a lot, yeah. but I didn't realize that we weren't functioning well. Right. You just did what you had to do. It was yeah. just the two of us and we had to make it. So I got a job and I got out in the community. I worked at a t-shirt, my friend dad's t-shirt shop and at like 14 and you know to just be out and then when I got into school I did everything you could possibly do extracurricular because I didn't really want to go home I didn't have anything to go home to but I turned it into a plus yeah so I got involved into in the theater into the in in getting in on the on the stage Mm -hmm. Uh, I played sports I field hockey I played uh, you know ice hockey and street hockey as a kid with boys you know I was always out doing something because like I said there was no reason to be home so right. when it came to what I wanted to be when I grow up, in air quotes, yeah. I didn't know. Okay. And I went to the college, or the, I, I don't know what you call them, the, the guidance counselor, yeah, right? Yeah. right? Yeah. And um, basically when I said I'm interested in going to art school because I had these two amazing instructors that got me rolling with it and putting a decent portfolio together, she basically didn't know anything. And at the time, we didn't have computers to really go do the homework on. It's not the same. Yeah, so she kind of sent me to one of the draw Tippy the Turtle kind of school directions, (laughs) which is okay. The art institutes at the time, they were. There's one in Philly and there's one in Pittsburgh. And I was like, but I don't think that's what I want. Had a couple good pieces Mm -hmm. of my portfolio and thought, oh, well, I'll just try. So there was a school in York at the time. Mm -hmm. And then uh, there was Tyler School of Art. Those are the only two I applied to. Okay. I just decided I was going to try. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah, I yeah. went, I had the most horrible interview I ever thought I would have at Tyler in my life. The one at the other school went really well. In fact, the person who did the interview with me wanted me to buy one of my paintings. Oh. It was watercolor of a house. And um, I was, it was crazy. And then I went to, I went to Tyler and there I am all of a sudden with people from New York. Like I thought it was I was intimidating. It, well, I was the weirdo at school, maybe a little bit right in the art department. But when you go to a school that's all of the same kind of person, (laughs) you're not necessarily the weirdest one in the room anymore. In fact, everybody in my family said, well, what are you going to do with art school? I said, I don't know. I had a terrible interview. Mm -hmm. The the guy was awful to me. And he looked at me dead in the eye and he said, what makes you think you're good enough to go here? And I said, I don't know. What makes you think you're good enough to have me? And I was, I just wanted to cry and left. Uh, Because he just said, oh, another one of these pieces, another one of those pieces. And he made me whatever. 
So much to my surprise, I got the letter of acceptance to one of the biggest art schools in the country, thinking I had failed completely. Sure. And when I ran into him on campus later, I said to him, oh, my word, uh, his name was Frank, and I, I can't remember his last name, honestly. Um, he was a painting, a painter, and a, they all had to be instructors in, in working. But he said to me, uh, oh, I remember you. And I said, yeah, you do? I said, I remember you. You were pretty mean. And he said, yeah, you said, you know, why do you want to, why do you think you're good enough to have me? And I, he goes, that's why I realized you really wanted to be here. Uh -huh. We have a lot of people with great portfolios. We don't have a lot of people who have the drive to say, I want to be here. And to be honest with you, I have no idea where that came from. Huh. But that kind of thing followed me through my life into the story of how I got into radio. But I didn't plan on any of it. Okay. It was basically laid out in front of me, but then when my family said, what are you going to do with an art career? Little did I know that if you want to be a printmaker or work in glass or any of these things, how expensive, or computers, oh, or sure. you know, it, you can do these things in college that you can't do at home, that you right. can't afford to right. do, and you can learn how to use the equipment. So I thought graphic design was easier, and then I didn't really like that a lot okay. because I was still at the whim of the client so much that I didn't feel like I was being a true artist, although that's not the case. It's just a different kind. Yeah. And then uh, I, one of my instructors, again, somebody came into my path, and his name was Alan Koss, and he was head of the graphic design department at Tyler. And he took me under his wing and kind of helped me make my own program, and I got into an experimental film and animation, and that's kind of where awesome. the drift started to media occurred. So that's the long version of the story. But. but, you know, it's interesting because as you're talking, two themes that have consistently come up through these podcasts. One are the mentors like your high school teachers and the one professor that you met at college that sort of steered you in a different direction who are the uplifting, take take a minute to notice something about you and and believe in you, right? There's that belief and that that Ugh. builds your self-efficacy. You just gave me chills because that's exactly what it is. Yeah, the, and, and hearing like your backstory, then it really clicks because you had these people at school recognizing your talent. And then there's the people like the jackass that interviewed you, <laughs> yeah, who, who made you feel like crap. And that can lead one of two ways. You could have gotten that acceptance letter and been like, that man didn't believe in me, I'm not going. Or you say, you know what, I am going to go. Yeah. And what makes you think I don't belong here? And it changes your entire trajectory. And that was another common theme of the guests that we've had on so far that kind of have both of those types of people in their life. So, well, this whole area is very happy that you chose <laughs> to keep pursuing your your artistic nature because radio is a form of art. And I don't know that everyone realizes that. So I'm, I'm dying to hear. I know there's a softball story in here somewhere oh, yeah, about what led you started, to radio. How it all got started. So, so yeah, whenever you want to go. I'm ready. Let's talk about it. Okay. I got started in radio in a very unconventional way. I would say, well, maybe 80-20, 70-30 is the split between people who go to school for communications. I'm probably among those Mike Rowan types who would come out and say, if you really want to get into the business of doing voiceovers and radio and media, don't, because it's hard yeah. and it's unfair. Uh, and. I can't say that completely, though, because there are people that I go to school with that have gone to school for communications, right. but it's so hard to get a job, and now even more difficult yeah. because yeah. of automation of all kinds um, that I don't really – I'm not very excited about because I, you, I, don't, I still don't think you can take the human element out of it. Sure. Um, you know, I, I went – what happened for me was so strange, but – a totally different story than someone like my partner, Nipsey, who I've been on the air with for 15 years doing yeah. the morning show, where he went to school for it. I was home from college. It was, eh, it was my junior, senior year. 
And I was working at a printing company doing some graphic design work and sitting at a desk for long periods of time, not really enjoying that aspect of it. And thinking, oh, but who knows what it'll lead to. And I just so happened to be working with the wife of the night guy for 93.5 WTPA at the time. Okay. And she said to me, nothing about radio. She said, hey, they have a softball team, and I know you played softball <laughs> growing up, and they need a catcher. Can you come on out? And that's what I did. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll go ahead, and I'll just, you know, they need a shoe-in for the team or just an extra body to fill. I'll do it. Sure. So I kind of met up with them because of that. Okay. Again, it's, you can never discount who you're going to run into, That's absolutely who you could true. know. Absolutely true. Who could say something that could change your entire direction in one sentence. Right. And that's where it happened. I didn't keep that job very long. I ended up going back to school and I was doing work for bands in the area, doing artwork. And um, I, I kind of knew these people now. So we were out and I'll tell you who exactly it was. He's still around the area. Unfortunately, one of them has passed, but Coffee and Jammer from 93.5 WTPA way back in the day. Okay. They, um, uh, Ed Coffee had come up to me and he said, did you ever think about doing radio? You have a pretty good voice and, you know, you're pretty, I mean, I'm 21 years old now. Yeah. I'm just happy to be in a yeah. bar, so I think yeah. this is pretty damn cool. <laughs> I'm like, really? <laughs> this sounds awesome. I'm excited. And of course, you know, there's ego in this of too. Course. Like, wow, yeah, be yeah. honest, yeah. right? When you're at that age, this was a big deal. So I was excited, but I had no idea what I was doing. He said, I'm going to put you with the night guy. So this is how fast it can go. If you Really honestly, just let yourself go and admit that you don't know what you're doing mm -hmm. and you just don't know what you don't know. Right. And which is exactly what happened. I went into the studio and he gave me a couple of things to read. He showed me how to do a couple of things. We put the demo tape together on a Monday night. He submitted it Tuesday morning and Tuesday afternoon. He calls me, the night guy, his name is Kevin the Kid Beam, and he goes, Jen, you better get in here and you better learn how to run the equipment. You're on your first two hours live on Friday oh night. Oh my gosh. And live meant live then. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Live yeah. meant live. From what I understand, you were on... I, yeah. You've, you did radio. I did for five years. In the day where you actually had to play... That's the, right. It wasn't automated. There no. was no computer like there is now. No, it, was, it wasn't automated. I was on from 2000 to 2005, and automation started in like 2004, 2005, and my story was similar. I did not study to, for radio. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did learn audio editing, but I was studying TV right. and film and news in particular and news reporting and got a call from the radio station because our school had sent out, I went to Marist College, they sent out resumes to different local radio stations, television stations, and I got a call like a week after graduation saying, you know, our, our morning show co-host is going on maternity leave and we're looking for a temp. And I thought, well, I guess I could do radio for two months. So very similar, like mm -hmm. what you were thinking. Like, I, I, I guess, but I've never done it. So I came in, they put me in front of the mic, showed me the board. Um, I understood audio editing a little bit, but I still edited reel to reel in the newsroom. Yep. Like that's that yep. is where you how put the pieces was... of tape in so you know where your markers yeah, are. It was yeah. crazy. It was very linear at that time. Mm -hmm. So same thing. And we had, you know, C D decks and that's what we used, but we had, you know, we were live and it was a it was just a very interesting time to be in radio and so much has changed, which I can't wait to pick your brain about because as I was leaving I, like automation started and I thought oh the, the songs play one after the other like you don't have to you don't cue have to it up and everyone. fire the pot yeah. right mm -hmm. exactly so totally totally different and time. I think people who are outside of the business just like television everything looks so easy you have no idea what the production is on right. any of this even in, in just radio aspect people will often come in and go oh is that all you have in front of you they don't realize how much is your brain oh, right. or how much is the board in front of you and what you're working and moving live while you're talking mm -hmm. and while you're 
communicating. Right. And it's not like the big shows that you get an eye on now, even with video. You're running your own board. You do everything yourself. And they don't understand that. So that's part of the kind of behind the curtain thing that we don't always talk yeah, about. But, yeah. you know, it, it's it was a good way to learn. I'm glad I learned that way because I understand the terminology, the verbiage of, of why something's called a cart. Yes. You know, yes. or why, why you do this or why you do that. Where And I also learned to do things in one take. Exactly, which helps you in every aspect of your life. Yeah. Because otherwise, I mean, you're, you're right. You and I were talking about this briefly. At the time, like when you're in radio and you're live, you only have one take. And you're doing live reads and you're getting paid sponsorships to do these reads and you want to sound like you know what you're talking about. In 2022, Central Penn College is launching a brand new program expertly designed to prepare operating room technicians with the knowledge and skills they need to assist in delivering life-saving care. Our region is facing unprecedented shortages in qualified persons for medical and allied healthcare positions. Among those are people with the intelligence, focus, care, and courage to be part of an operating room team. Our 18-month Surgical Technician Diploma program will provide you with the training in essential healthcare skills, including surgical instrumentation, anatomy and physiology, pathophysiology, patient care, surgical pharmacology, and microbiology. Apply now for this exciting program. Visit centralpen.edu slash apply to get your college career started at Central Penn. That's www.centralpen.edu slash apply to get started at Central Penn. Remember, opportunities start here. If you're able to just stop and re-record all the time, mm-hmm. it, sound, there, it sounds produced. Well, and, and if, from the medical and science community, you can explain all the, the fine issues of this, but your brain functions differently mm-hmm. when you know somewhere in the back of there that you can stop and edit. Absolutely. When you have to just go and you ha- you know what it is? It's it's learning to fail. And yeah. when I would train some people, one of the best things you can do is fail because you fail at something, you learn how to pick yourself up and keep going without beating yourself up. So right. when you're live on the radio and you make a mistake, you've got to learn to jump that barrier. You all, And then you have to remember to be yourself. Exactly. You know, so you have to learn to, you get nervous and you're kind of like fake and you're, re- you're reading things and you're doing this and being whatever you think an announcer is supposed to be. Or in some cases, like back in the day, you were trying to be an announcer and you were trying to talk all <laughs> sultry. And that only lasts so long too because you eventually get older. But, you know, <laughs> It's interesting when you talk about that kind of aspect of it because, yeah, you have to – you learned how to save yourself. Yeah. You learned that you will – you can fail, but you can come right back in a couple of seconds, and it's what you do after the mistake. 100%. That is going to make all the difference of whether you succeed in finishing that break and, and going on. Because there were times, honestly, you know, in the beginning where I would have quit. I'd do a break, and it would be all messed up. I'm like, that's not what I wanted to say at all. And honestly, some people probably <laughs> never heard the difference. No. But I didn't do it right, or my boss came in and said, you gave the wrong date. I'm like, I didn't know I did that. And and I want to cry. Right. Because I wanted to do things so well, and I wanted to be perfect in a job you cannot be perfect right. at. There is no 100%. No, know? there's not. And you know what I thought, what I learned early on is that 
people like it when you're just yourself. So you spend all this time trying to be perfect. You make a mistake. You realize that yeah. no one really cares that you made a mistake more than you. Yep. So you're you're 100 percent right. It's the way you the way you bounce back. And, and you and you make mistakes, and then you develop new ways to talk, and then you relax a little bit. Yeah. And then you get into your groove, and that's a that's a big difference, and it's good for everybody. Now, what has happened in the last couple of years, though, is really fascinating to me, because. Now you've got eight-year-olds with video cameras on them behaving like you used to have to be trained in college. Yeah. And they know how to do it, but they don't always know why they're doing it. Right. And there's a big difference there. That's a whole other subject. But it is something, when, you know, when you first get started, learning how to be live is totally different. And I think it's handy for everybody. You learn how to read out loud. Oh, totally. You got, you're going to have to do it sooner or later at this point yeah. in life. Yeah. And and some people are very good at it and some people are, are not. But it, it is. It's... it's um. I spend a lot of time training people because I love doing that. I like to see people, you know, come alive yeah. with, with uh, this kind of project. But there's nothing like being live. There's yeah. simply nothing like being live. It's a, it's a totally different feeling. So, so you get the phone call. You're 20 years old. You get called to a night show to learn how to learn the board quickly because you're having your first live shift. Yeah. So you started evenings and overnights. Yeah. What they did at the time because they're. It was live. Well, it was live all the time. All I the think time, twenty four seven. Understand, twenty four seven. There was a person in the studio. Yes, and now it could sound live, but most of the time it wouldn't be. Right. Those jobs right. have been unfortunately eliminated. Again, I don't agree with that, but pre-programming things and the way things work—that's kind of what's happened. Uh, yeah, I was given my first two hours, and Jim Cook was the night guy, and he stood there beside me, and I had to hit the on button and wait for the. I remember watching. It was like Pink Floyd or something, counting down, <laughs> yes. and it was like five, four, three, and I'm. Like, I have to talk now, and I I almost threw up. I, I and I, I I don't even know what I said. <laughs> I knew I was supposed to say the call letters, the station, my name, and what the song was, and right. then go to the next song. Just right, do it, what right. we call a common segue. And he explained to me what a clock was and all these other things. And I did the first break, and I just looked at him, and he looked at me, and he slams the off button because I didn't turn it off. Right. And I said, Oh my god! And he looked at me, and goes, You acted like you did this in your entire life. Oh, see. And I, to this day, I don't know what I said. I don't want to hear it either. It was probably terrible. But I ended up just doing it every night. And then I thought, well, this is good. They gave me a night show from 10 at night till 1 in the morning. And so I took a job as a nanny during the day. Oh, boy. And I would go to do the station stuff at night. And I just worked. One piece of advice I got that I will never forget was that, you know, never say no. If they, yes. if they want you on, like you said, they want you on, even if you don't know what you're doing. I would, if they called me, I would come in. Yeah. If I could call my boss and she said it was fine, you know, and, and she could watch the kids or something, I could come in. Yeah. And that led to some weird stuff, like interviewing Ozzy Osbourne when he didn't know where he was <laughs> because the, the midday girl called off, right? Uh, or Ted Nugent, who you can ask him one question and walk out the door and come back a half hour and later still and he's still going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got opportunities by being the person that they knew they could go to. Yes. I would say yes. Yes. Now, it's important to learn to say no sometimes, too. But when you're getting started in a career like that, getting in there and, and constantly doing the job, you could never go wrong. And I got yeah. a good piece of advice. was If they come after you and they ask you to do something, say you can do it, even if you don't know. And, and you're, you're right. That's those opportunities, right? Yeah. So you're, you're in mornings now. And I do mm -hmm. want to I I go back to your, to your early days, too. But I'm curious, that shift to now early mornings and you're on at 5 a.m., how drastically different is that? It is. I, well, I've learned to love it. 
I mean, I really have. Were you always a morning person, or is this something that you no, had to cultivate? No, no, gosh, I was coming in at two o'clock in the morning. Oh, okay. I wasn't. Yeah, you know, I was like, if you get two hours of sleep, you were good. But then you're young, and you you have that ability. Sure. But uh, no, you know, because I was so excited about it, and you couldn't miss, and you couldn't be wrong. And somebody, what gets me up every day, even thirty years later, is somebody wants my job every day. Yep. Somebody wishes they could have the chair I sit in. And that makes me, I'm very competitive anyway. I became, I was a B type for a long time. And then I became like this A type because I found what I love. And I love what I do. So I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss a day, ever. And, well, recently I broke my shoulder right before uh, the COVID lockdown happened. As it happened, I was in the hospital and had pins and a plate put in. And I had them bring my gear in. To do your show? Yeah, that was you also... You did the show from the hospital? I did. That was a little weird. I wouldn't recommend that, but yeah, I was in Were the you hospital. on medication? Slightly. I mean, <laughs> they didn't have me completely, but for somehow, I was like, I'm going to do this. Well, you know what happened? I developed an infection on the second round. Oh, my gosh. So they had to test me and keep me in there. I was like, well, this is going to be boring, and I don't want to miss work. And, you know, part of it was, too, I just didn't want to lose vacation days, so I <laughs> could just bring my stuff in here, because we had gone remote anyway. Oh, so because it was just the start of the pandemic. I put a sign on the door. I love my job so much. This is ridiculous. I, I put a sign on the door. I asked if it was okay. I said, can I do the show up until we're, we're going until nine? So the doctors would be like, well, we'll come back when you're done. But you that, know, you that might be <laughs> the craziest thing I've ever heard. I mean, I, I, rem- I talk about like when I was going through my doctoral program, I had my sons, both of them were born during this, pro- well, during my master's and then my doctorate. And I have images of like feeding the baby and I'm on my computer. Like that's how sick I was. Yeah. This is a whole new level. <laughs> I've never heard of that kind of dedication in my life. That's, I was a little weird, but yeah, but you know what? You understand then though, because when you're passionate about what yes, you do, I that's it. what happens. I, I totally, I totally get it. And in a sick way, I completely respect I, it. I love, yeah. And I love being <laughs> up early and then going to the grocery store at a, you know, sure. 12 o'clock and doing my stuff. I, like, I was out yesterday and I couldn't handle it. Anytime you go out to the grocery store during normal hours, I can't. It's insanity. It's too much. It's too many people because I'm used to working on the flip side now. But right. but I love getting up and the very first thing I do, well, first thing I do is get coffee uh, and a good bit of it. It's my Same. favorite thing, right? Me too. But I love diving in yeah. to my work and yeah. nothing but focused thought and trying to figure things out and pick things up. I'll study right before I go to sleep what's happening. The news cycle breaks and turns between one and two, right. you know, and then things start to roll over. And so then I get up and I start matching things up to see where they are. So so I love it. I love morning. What time do you wake up in the morning? 3.30. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was very similar. I had to get up at 3, but only because I had a commute. It was like a 45-minute drive. And, and I'm still a very early morning person to this day. It's annoying to family members sometimes because I, I love it. I'm like, look, it's the sunrise again. Like It yeah, comes up too. every day, Jen. Leave me alone. <laughs> but I, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy from, a, from a content perspective, how different is programming and like thinking about your show prep for a morning show compared to an afternoon drive? Oh, totally different drive? because you're dealing with totally different audience. I mean, what your morning show should always be like your flagship mm-hmm. and it should be what leads the rest of, of your day. Now, we do something that's a complete anomaly um, at WQXA at 105.7 The X. I mean, as far as the people's morning show and what I have done for all of my career really has been it's been talk oriented. So okay. that's different. Yeah. So you, we're going in with a different mentality, with a different style. We're not playing as much music. Right. So you have to know your audience. You have to pick your direction. You have to know yourself 
because you can't go on the air five days a week, four hours a shot, and be a fake. Yeah, yeah. You know, is it all of me? No. But but this kind of programming is different. I will tell you something. Way back in the day, I was told by a program director who may be listening, and I won't mention his name, that, uh, you know, rock listeners don't care about news. And I didn't believe that. I didn't believe that at all. Mm-hmm. And I fought against that. I still fight against that yeah. sometimes. Yeah. I'm still told by higher-ups who don't live here, who don't know what we've done, right. who don't know what we've created or who we really are, uh, what we should or shouldn't be doing. And I think sometimes the management gets too far out of the loop of being on the ground what people are really yeah. hearing. Now, honestly, I don't talk down to people. Right. Uh, and I don't I don't talk to anybody like they, they wouldn't want to hear it. If nothing else, you don't want to be the dumb person in the room when everybody else is talking about something. Sure. And we do have, like, for our area, I mean, if you read it, we have a lot of military. Yeah. So you may not always care about what's happening in certain areas, but we cover a lot of that because we know our listeners. You have to. But I've been told on certain occasions, oh, just do some headlines and go do something else. Do something, you know, silly. Like, I, yeah. there are days for that. There are days for silly. There are. And there's there are. plenty of silly. But then there are plenty of times where you're selling people short if you're only giving them that right. little tiny bit or you're not giving them the real take on it or at least your take on it. They're, they're listening for you. And they, they want to hear what you have to say, and they want to hear what's going on in the world. And if they don't like it, listeners will have no problem telling you. Oh, they'll tell you right away. <laughs> they're going to they, let find you know. They'll in 15 yeah. different ways. They'll show up at your appearances, and they're going to tell you mm-hmm. they don't like that you're doing so and much. And social here. media, you know, yeah. the keyboard warriors and whatnot, which we've we've worked our way through a lot of that over the years. But I mean, I, overall, though, I, I mean, if you're compelling, you have to be compelling, no matter what sure. it is that you're doing. If you're not really into it, people are going to know. They're going to smell a fake. Yeah. That concludes today's episode of The Bridge Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Linda Fadrizi-Williams. Next time, we will talk to Jen Shade about some more of her personal life. I'm very excited to have her back on. Until the next time, enjoy The Bridge. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Bridge, hosted by Central Penn College President Linda Fadrizi-Williams. If you enjoyed this episode please give it a great rating on your favorite podcast service. The Bridge is available on Apple iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes of The Bridge, stories of resilience, courage, and innovation with Dr. Linda Fadrizi-Williams. We'll see you next time.